I started, again, observing my clientele, observing my tenants, and they're walking three blocks down the street to the convenience store, and, uh, and they're walking because it's not making any sense to get in a car, but it's also Houston, Texas, and man, it's hot to be walking three blocks. So I'm thinking to myself, I said, well, why is my money walking off of my property, right? And all my clients, this, this is my money, right? Um, so I'm thinking, I'm like, what are they doing? I do a little comp shopping or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm also thinking about my kids and this something I could do with my kids. And uh, we come up with vending machines. Perfect. everybody it's Jamel Gibbs welcome to another podcast episode this is the business and investing podcast where we talk about all things business and investing related and that's exactly what we're going to do today we're going to talk about how you can build multiple streams of income while having a nine to five our special guest is in the Houston Texas market he is currently working a job but he has an empire of a business we're going to talk about how he Tapped in from single family residential real estate, got into apartments, got into the laundromat business, got into vending machines. He's releasing a book with his wife over the next couple of months, which we're, we're going to talk about that later on. But these are all different streams of revenue that he's bringing in. And when one of them is slow, he's always going to eat off of the others. So recently, I've been releasing a lot of content on why it's important to have multiple streams of income. I've been bringing different guests on. You know, we had Chris Monroe not so long ago. He talked about Toro and antiques and real estate, right? I, I released a video on my nine streams of income, actually 11 streams of income from real estate alone. I also released another video on top, the top five ways to business hack for less than $1,000 different things that you can incorporate into your real estate business to build money up front, passive income, and huge checks on the back end. And this is no exception. Our special guest is crushing it right now in the Houston, Texas market. Started off with a job. And like I said, he's growing an empire. And we're going to talk about what that empire actually looks like today. Onaje Barnes, what's up, man? Thank you, man. I'm very happy to be here. Jamel, man, I love your podcast. I love what you bring into the table. I love what you bring in from an education perspective to the people. Just appreciate the invite for even just being here and thinking about me. Oh, man, it's a pleasure, bro. Now, I'm looking forward to this conversation, man. There's so many different moving parts to what you're doing right now. But what I'm even more interested in, and I'm sure a lot of our special guests listening to this podcast is interested in, is how did you do it while still working a nine to five, man. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm Onaji Barnes. I grew up in uh, Third Ward, Houston, Texas, uh, to be uh, exact. Um, I was a third child of four uh, to a single mom. Uh, so we never really had a whole lot of money. Uh, money was always short. I mean, we was in poverty. We was below the poverty line. Um, but we, what we lacked in uh, income, we had in education. Uh, she was an educator, uh, so it instilled the value of just learning and hustling within us um, and just watching her over time. And so uh, with that, um, I just hustled when I was young, man. I hustled uh, in education. So I graduated from Little Torn in my high school class. That allowed me to get a full ride scholarship to the University of Texas at Austin. 
I ended up graduating uh, uh, with an economics degree. So I always love money and I always love the study of uh, money. But after that, I got on, um, I got a job right out of college uh, at a made company uh, department stores, a Foley's division in Houston, Texas. And I was a buyer. I was a buyer, assistant buyer, a uh, allocator, but I was in that whole project one-way stuff. So if you ever got online and looked on TV and saw the whole project one-way deal, that was me. I was flying to New York, flying to Vegas, flying to LA, doing the whole project one-way type of thing, being a buyer, understanding the financials behind that. So it was a great career to uh, learn the game. Um, I, when I got in, uh, I was actually bought all the cool stuff. Uh, back in the day, we were doing Sean John, Rockerware, Echo, when all this stuff was first popping off. So it was a really cool job. Uh, but three years in, I got a, I got sucker punched in the gut. And uh, that gut shot was um, we were merging with uh, Macy's, Macy's department stores, and they were taking over and they were buying our division. And with just like that, 25,000 people getting laid off. Now, they offered me a job to move on and stay with them, but I wanted to be in Texas. All my family was here, and I just went through this layoff, and it was a culture shock. I'm, I'm thinking prior to this layoff, I'm thinking I'm going to work on this job for 30 years, learn everything I could learn, and I, I thought I was just going to have one and done. I thought that was my – I was still naive at the time, but I was appreciated that layoff because it allowed me to understand that I needed some backup. I need an alternative stream of income. I need some passive income, something that I can bring in some extra money while I'm still working my nine to five, just in case this happened again, because guess what? It's highly likely that this could happen again. So uh, went on to take a job at JCPenney. Uh, I spent about a year and a half there. And over the course of that year and a half, we just really dove right in, read a lot of good books, uh, did the whole rich dad, poor dad thing. I love the book, uh, the second book, Cash Flow Quadrant. It teaches you about the investor mindset. And uh, that was a big education. Got into all kinds of podcasts like this one. I um, wish he was around back then. Maybe I could have made some, uh, avoided some mistakes, right? Uh, but learned a lot of that stuff. And then uh, me and my wife, we we had a very intentional mindset that as when we moved to Houston into our uh, my new job, uh, that I transferred with, we moved to Houston, moved back from Houston, from Dallas. We knew we wanted to buy a house, but we also didn't just want to go buy a traditional home out in the suburbs and all that kind of stuff. We understood we were able to learn about equity and forcing appreciation. So we bought an ugly home in a great neighborhood. Uh, I used what I had. I didn't have a whole lot of cash, but I had time to learn. And so I learned about uh, the FHA 203K loan. And I got that loan through a program called NACA, that allowed me to buy with zero down. Um, this is the first time for our program. They're still around today in ACA.com. And I allowed, they allowed us to buy uh, with no money down and the rehab portion, they would fund uh, to uh, get into our new home. So we found a house. Uh, this is during the foreclosure crisis. So granted, uh, we literally bought like two or three months right after Lehman Brothers crash. So this was like in the thick of it. And so it was a foreclosure listed in a good neighborhood. The neighborhood was going for about 220. This house was listed for 180. We were aggressive. We offered 135. They took it, um, which was crazy, but that's what you was doing back then. And uh, 135, we got 30 grand from the loan program. So we're all in for 165. It was a full rehab, you know, green shack carpet, gold foil walls, house built in 1960. It's actually the house that I'm in right now. So I'm still in my house, same home. And uh, but a few months later, we got an appraisal and the house value is about 240 grand. Wow. So 
first time investor buying our first home. We just did the work up front, got that instant equity. Right when we got that $240,000 valuation, we were able to get a cash out refinance and get 40 grand. And so you, how much was it when you cashed out refinance? You said $40,000. About 40,000. About 40,000. 40,000. Okay. So you got about $40,000 out. So now you have $40,000. What did you do with the money? So uh, very intentional. So at this point, we understood. So if you can imagine, we were like 25, 26 years old. If you can imagine seeing that valuation grow, we hooked already. So instead of going out and go buy some fancy cars, I still kept driving my same old Nissan Central. All my friends know my car that I had for nine years. It's called Smokey or whatever. So all my people know Smokey because I rode it so long. But we, I didn't go. I didn't upgrade. Uh, what I did upgrade was I went out and we went out and hunted for another house. And so we found the house again during the foreclosure crisis in a great, in a, it wasn't a great neighborhood, but I knew the neighborhood well. I knew I had a lot of homework on this neighborhood. It was a historic neighborhood in the, in the area. And so we found a house. It was a, another foreclosure for 65. I only had 40. I only had 40. Maybe I had, maybe I had another 45. Quick question. Was that in the form of a HELOC? Uh, it was a home equity loan, so I got I got I got a loan in this case. Now I'm a big fan of HELOCs going forward, but I didn't really understand HELOCs back then. So I got the loan. Um, I wish I would do that HELOC, but I got the loan. And what we did was I just offered forty thousand dollars cash in this house that was listed for sixty five, and it was a foreclosure, and the bank took it. And I didn't have a whole lot of money, so uh, and because I only offered forty cash, I only needed another six hundred grand, uh, six hundred dollars to close. So it really wasn't that much money uh, out of pocket, like in, in the grand scheme of things. And so uh, from there, what we did was, I mean, I just literally worked nine to five, came home, kissed my wife, went to Home Depot, picked up some materials, packed it up in Smokey, uh, drove out to the property uh, and literally was grinding it out from like six to like midnight. Go home, go to sleep, get back to whatever. So it was a grind. Uh, but, you know, at the time, we didn't have any kids. It was just us. We were still young, hungry and, and, and ambitious. Fast forward about two and a half weeks. That's all it took. I, I mean, I hired a couple guys to do a couple of things I couldn't do. But otherwise, I was doing YouTube University, figuring it out. And uh, with that new loan, the new loan was about two ninety a month. I always remember that. And then with uh, taxes, insurance, I was in for about four twenty five, And we were renting it two and a half weeks later for nine hundred bucks cash loan. Man, so you literally started off with twelve hundred dollars. You purchased- $1,200 to initially close on the first home. Mm-hmm. That's all you it took. Purchased your first home for one thirty-five. You had a, you know, eventually you had about $100,000 in equity in that thing. Um, you, you're still in that home today, right? Yep. You're, you, you took some equity out of that home and yep. put it down on your first investment property, which is now cash flowing. You know, uh, you said your, your payment on is what, 200 bucks a month or something like that. Well, the, the total payment, I like to do all in taxes, insurance or whatever we want to be, you know, be real upfront. So it was about four twenty five all in. So the note was two ninety taxes, the insurance four twenty five. We were renting nine hundred on that home. Now, fast forward today, that home's renting for fourteen fifty. But that's a different conversation because uh, yeah. hey, appreciation happens all the way around. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so you're so you're literally cash flowing about a thousand bucks a month on that house. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that well, here's what's funny. That loan's gone, by the way. Got you. Got you. Okay, cool, man. So, so you paid that off and now you have, you have, uh, this, this, uh, investment property, you have your personal residence. How did you get into the bird? So I'm hooked at this. I'm hooked. Right. So I'm young. I got a property. I 
Got a nice big home. This is a 3,000 square foot home, four, two and a half. Okay. Had some equity in it, cash it out. Now I'm making four. This is back in the day. I was making 400 plus or, or whatever a month. And so, you know, that pay for a car note, but we just took that money, reinvested into the business, reinvested on paying down. And now we're just hustling. So now I'm trying to figure out, get some stock. If I got some stock through the company, because uh, I'm working my way up through my corporate job. So I'm, you know, doing a good job there and getting some stock options, take all my stock, buy another house. Oh, don't have any stock anymore. Don't have any cash. Do a hard money loan. Okay. Get a few more dollars. Okay, uh, put 20% down. So we literally do some no money, do some creative financing. So we literally was just trying to buy as many properties as we could. We didn't have a whole lot of money. I wish we'd had a lot more. We'd be a whole lot more wealthy if we, if we, we was able to buy more. But we was buying, I would say we were buying one home every eight months. So we weren't doing huge volume, but I'm a buy and hold investor. So my whole deal was all about trying to get that cash flow coming in. We wanted to just get, just build that, that passive income, that passive cash flow. So pause right there for a moment. So you're saying something really important to the to the listeners, right? Most people, when they make some money, what do they do with the money, Onaje? They go spend it. They go spend it, right? What you're saying is you didn't have a lot of money, but every single dollar that you came across, you try to see how you can maximize profit potential on that dollar, right? So you That's reinvested right. that money, right? So you had the 40 grand, for example, you went out and you bought a whole house, with the 40 grand, which created passive income, but that was all you had. That's all I had. So I had to make it happen. Right, man. So how did you make it grow? So so we kept moving, right? And um, and one of the bigger deals that I did, and again, wasn't a huge deal from a numbers perspective, but it was impactful for our life going forward, was I had a good friend of mine and he was in the game. He was actually kind of a mentor to me and he was a big time realtor. And so he had a deal with uh, he had called me up and he we were just shooting the crap and he literally called me up and said hey yeah let's go get lunch let's go do a kitty date um our sons were the same age and i'm like yeah 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 let's go right now he's like no no i gotta go drop to the north side because i'm looking at this 30 unit uh package from this lady her, her husband died and he was a real estate investor and i said oh really he's like yeah he had all he had all 30 units within five minutes of each other i said what <laughs> so five minutes each other. I said, "Oh, it's a good deal." She's like, "Yeah, she wants to sell them because she can't handle them. She's, you know, she's sixty-five. Her son can't handle them, so she wants to sell a couple of them." I said, "Well, well, can I look at this?" He's like, "Oh, sure, man. He's a sale fraud." I'm like, "Hey, these are these are decent deals. Like these are these are decent." And so um, she had a stipulation though. She didn't want anybody to go inside the property to bother the tenants because mm-hmm. she, you know, little old church lady didn't want to bother the tenants or whatnot. And so. I was like, well, the price got to come down. And my, my friend agreed. And so at the time, the foreclosure crisis and all that, uh, she sold those properties to us for 16500 each. Wow. I tried to buy four or five of them, but she only ended up giving me two, um, two of those properties. And then I gave my friend 5000 a piece each on those properties. So all in, I was able to get two properties for $42,000 total. And they were across the street from each other. So us, those buy and hold investors, we love properties on the same street, yeah. right? So uh, they were all in on that. I bought those uh, two cash on some stock that I had uh, for my day job, um, cashed all that out. Now, what's crazy was that was kind of almost all the liquid cash that we was buying. So I had to ask the wife, I said, look, I mean, I'm about to spend all of our savings on these two properties or whatnot. And we don't really have too much left. Now, understand this was kind of also during the recession. So this is kind of scary, right? So we did it anyway, made the leap. They were already renting for 900 apiece, inherited both of the tenants. 
what's crazy is I didn't have any money and the tenants wanted to stay. So they just stayed and I didn't really have a whole lot of repairs to do wow. uh, at the time. Later on in the years, I ended up fully rehabbing them all or whatever. But I literally walked into that deal, cash flowing um, $1,800, right, between the two properties on a $42,000 investment. Fast forward all of that, you know, year two later, I ended up uh, cash uh, doing a cash out refi on that because I'm a birth strategy guy. Cash flow refi at a valuation of 130 grand a piece. Because now you got appreciation going, right? The, the market bounced back, the recession is bouncing back and all that good stuff. So all in, those two properties worth 260, renting 1800 between the two. And I only put up 42 grand. Do you do you agree with me that you buy, you know, people say you, you make your money when you buy real estate. I believe you make money when you buy and hold real estate. Because the minute you let real estate go, it's you're letting out all of the cash flow. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big buy and hold real estate investor. I do not believe in selling property. I've actually never sold a property. <laughs> so I buy and I buy and I buy and I buy and I hold and I hold. And I'm trying to figure out more ways to hold. I'm looking in the short term rentals now to hold more efficiently um, if possible. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm in the same home that I originally bought. I'm yeah, sitting man. right in the same home I originally bought. To me, it's like uh, playing Monopoly with real cash, man. Monopoly with real money. Absolutely. You hold on to it for as long as possible. Eventually, even if you pull equity out, the equity will get paid down. You can use that money to purchase more. And you just keep doing it. And, and right. as long as you can get your property management piece together, as long. And that's really one of the things that we specialize in is, is property management, being able to be good landlords. Mm -hmm. Our people stay with us six, seven, eight years. When you got a good tenant staying with you six, seven, eight years and you bought it right, up front at good margins, at good equity or whatever, then man, you got your tenants paying for you and you do that cash out refi, you get your, you get your cash out refi from the bank. And here's what's crazy about the bird strategy and the cash out refi. If you just be a little bit patient, you might get more money down the road than you, what you would have got if you initially flipped that property. That's right. And you can do it again over time because that tenant's still paying down the note. So you had so you had this 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 new evaluation, a new appraisal on a property for two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. You only paid what forty thousand, forty forty two, forty three thousand dollars for the property. You put some money into it. Wait, did you cash out refi uh, that property as well? Uh, yeah, so we ca we cashed out refi the, the the two. First of all, uh, over time, I'm cash out refi everything. But I talk about these two properties because they were across the street from each other. It was a juicy deal. And this was like my first time where I really just got a, a gang of capital, right? So I got about 200K net net at the end of the day because, um, you know, the bank ain't going to give you 100% on the dollar, right? They give you about 75, 80% on the dollar. And so I got about 200K and I'm sitting on 200K in my bank account. And this is kind of like one of the first times where I'm like, okay, I got some cash in my bank account, right? Like I can go do something. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm balling a little bit, right? I saw the 401k like liquid money, right? Uh, but what I did there, I had been also conversely understanding and learning about commercial real estate and how that operates. And um, as I started digging into commercial real estate, commercial real estate had a lot more control. There's a lot more control in commercial real estate about the valuations that you get, about the money that you can make. Because residential is based on comparable sales. Um, commercial real estate is based on net operating income. How much money are you making? And so that really started to interest me. And that's really where I started to start to look at uh, the potential of getting into an apartment complex. So let's think about this for a second. I want, I want to pause here for a moment and really highlight some, some of the things 
uh, that you're that you're talking about here so that everybody can understand exactly what you're doing. You didn't start off wholesaling real estate. You didn't start off with a whole lot of money. You took a little bit of money and let real estate build up the capital while providing you with um, passive income along the way. This is what we call true real estate investing. There's a lot of different strategies out here. You know, we spoke about wholesaling already. There's creative investing and things like that. When you think about true real estate investing, traditional real estate investing, this is how you get rich off of traditional real estate investing, starting with very, very little money. It takes a little bit of money and it takes discipline and time. The combination of those three things, a little bit of money, and then we're talking about $1,000. Onaje started with $1,200, right? So $1,200, a little bit of discipline and some time. We're talking 10, 12 years later, 13, 14 years later. And Onaje is a multimillionaire. We're going to talk about how he was able to transition from single family residential real estate using the Burr strategy into apartment buildings taking that $200,000 that he had now after doing that refi cash out on those two single family properties, taking all of that money and buying something to leverage his ability to uh, own more real estate. 200 grand to purchase. How much was that apartment building again? Uh, 1.2 is what the purchase price was. $1.2 million. So imagine if somebody gave you 200, if somebody gave you $2 and said, if you if you just sit this two, $2 into uh, this, let's say this pen right here, let's say this pen was worth $12 and you pay, you, you put $2 into it, that $2 can control the 12. That's exactly what he did with the, uh, with the apartment complex. This pen, right, is not really worth $12, but the point is that pen, uh, that $2 controls a whole lot of real estate. 200,000 controlled 1.2 million. Guess what? The the value of the 1.2 million, because I'm sure you bought it at a discount, which we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. It it goes up in value. That 200,000 now controls an asset that's going to be worth millions. Then if you ever cash out of that, you can take uh, let's say a million dollars out of that property to control 10 or 15 or 20 million. This is how you grow in time. There's no secret to this. You just got to be smart, have a little bit of capital to start with and give it some time, have some discipline. And you'll be able to go from where you are to where you want to go in real estate. Got to be patient though. So how did you get that that uh, that multi-unit property, man? So, um, so, so for me, I've always been a hustler. So I'm not a, I'm not a wholesaler, but I work with a lot of wholesalers, right? And I know good deals. And I'm very, very strong with my numbers. Uh, that, that, those are, those are some of my strengths. I know how to negotiate, and I'm strong with numbers. Um, so ultimately, I had 200k. So at the end of the day, that's what I got. So I'm gonna spend what I got. I ain't spending more. This is what I got. So, um, so for me, the the property actually had a 1.3 million dollar uh, as is appraisal. That appraisal was as is with keeping it real. Some some uh, some uh, 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 private pharmaceutical sales reps on the premises. Some ladies of the night on the premises. So it uh, kind of run down some structural issues. Now it had some things that I liked uh, about the property. Uh, the flooring was updated, uh, but it was kind of run down, and it really wasn't 
being optimized. They had some vacancy in there too. So that's what brought that valuation down to 1.3. I negotiated down to 1.2. Actually, I negotiated down to about 1.1. That was the actual official sales price to the seller. And then I grossed up the, the, uh, the contract at 1.18 so I could get about $80,000 back and actually bring less money to the table to close the deal. Um, so making that number a little bit closer and more digestible for what I had going on. And what I did there is because when you understand commercial real estate and how to calculate it, it's all about income. And so what I did was I didn't have a, I didn't go get a hard money loan for it. I just really went unit by unit, tenant move out, empty units, rehab, go in, bus, 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 bus. Okay. Hey, hey, tenant over here. Actually, we like you. Let's go ahead and upgrade you because I need to continue to keep the party going. Come into one of these newer units, uh, pay a little bit more rent. And now we'll rehab your old unit and have that going. And we just going one by one. So that's been about, I say about 18 months to two years of doing that one by one uh, and just working the system, working the game. And again, each time we upgrade, we're optimizing, fixing leaks, uh, reducing our costs, figuring out ways to be more efficient, but then also obviously raising the rents. So each time we raise the rents, we're raising the valuation. Um, and then we're also looking to just optimize all the space. And that kind of gets into the next conversation of like, we look at that space to optimize. Let's pause right there for a moment, because this is really important for everybody to, uh, that's looking into multi-units, especially the multi-units that need some type of work, right? It's really important for you to understand this. You can get multi-units at a discount, but notice what Onaje said. He said he got into the multi-unit game. He understood that the property needed some work, but he didn't, he didn't go out and take out any loans, right? That keeps his debt really low. He didn't take out any hard money loans. So his payments are not out, outrageous through the roof or anything like that. What he did was he took the existing passive income that was coming in from the property, took that money and rehabbed each unit one by one. It took him time. We spoke about that already, right? Have some discipline, have some time and patience and a little bit of capital. The little bit of capital he had from the apartments, he used that money rather than going out and spending it on a brand new car or you know some unnecessary things that he could have done with the money, he reinvested it back into the property to make improvements to the property, right? So literally starting with very little capital, he said, okay, I'm going to take this rent money and fix up the next apartment, raise the rent, move somebody in there and then just keep doing that. And it took them two years, but the property value goes up as you're putting money into the property as well. Now, in addition to that, I, I know you stabilize the apartments at this point, which means that everything is, is uh, running smoothly, but you also found some additional income streams within the apartment complex. Uh, let's talk about the laundromat business. How did you tap into that? So a couple of things. So one, um, when you get into apartments, you know, you really start to think about like every usable space you want to start making money on. And so we had a laundry facility that was kind of run down. It was really run down. The people didn't want to, you know, who wants to wash clothes and clean their clothes in a dirty area, right? Or just ugly area, right? Nobody. And, um, but the machines were brand new. So the owner, the previous owner, he bought all these brand new machines, but didn't spend any money to upgrade the actual uh, the space. So we spent, I literally spent $300 to put down some new sticky tiles, some paint or whatever, just to kind of just spruce up the space a little bit. 
Uh, we moved our uh, our car. We had a car reader machine where people put their money in, they get a card out, and they, and they put it in the laundry machine. We moved that from the office to the uh, to the laundry facility. And oh, by the way, the office had a bathroom in it and a kitchen in it. So that actually future became another operating unit. So now I was take, I was able to take an, a non-operating office, create another unit out there, increase valuation. But then, then we're now we operating the uh, the laundry facility on site. People were going off site to use their laundry, but they could be on site. So we were making about fifty to seventy five bucks beforehand, and that shot up to five hundred dollars literally overnight the next month, making five hundred dollars in that in that area. And that also increases the valuation of the building and, as well. Right? Absolutely. That that $500 probably equates, depending upon the cap rate, somewhere between seventy-five dollars and $80,000 in valuation. Huge, huge increase, man, for a $300 investment. Pretty much. Right? Roll up your sleeves, get a little dirty, put in some, some, uh, some hard work, and it pays off over time, man. So you, you had some additional space, man. What did you do with that additional space? I, I, you know... I'm kind of segueing into the vending machine part. That's right. That's right. So, so the space uh, was actually about 400 square feet. So okay. we could probably fit another six uh, washing machines and dryers in there based on the actual square footage. But the place didn't actually warrant that, right? Because it wasn't that many people and that much traffic it was good people, good traffic or whatever, but it didn't really warrant six additional uh, washing machines. So I'm, I started, again, observing my clientele, observing my tenants, and they're walking three blocks down the street to the convenience store. And, uh, and they're walking because it's not making any sense to get in a car, but it's also Houston, Texas. And man, it's hot to be walking three blocks. So I'm thinking to myself, I said, well, why is my money walking off of my property? Right. And all my clients, this, this is my money. Right. Um, so I'm thinking I'm like, what are they doing? I do a little comp shopping or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about uh, I'm also thinking about my kids and just something I could do with my kids. And uh, we come up with vending machines. So I got a uh, I got a soda machine holds a uh, holds about 540 cans. Uh, the uh, the vending machines holds about 240 uh, items. Um, little snacks and chips and all that good stuff or whatever. And uh, we, we literally got online, got on Facebook Marketplace, hunting for a couple of days, found a guy who appears to be the biggest guy in the city on refurbished uh, vending machines. I did not go buy a brand new machine for three or four grand because, frankly, this is a new business. Um, so I'm like, hey, let me do proof of concept first. Right. Like, let, let me see if this is legit. And so I met this guy up. Uh, he had this big old three or four acre facility uh, with all these old vending machines, whatever. I, I went in and, and I found one that I thought could, that we could fix up. He fixed it up for me and charged me $800 a piece. So I bought a soda machine for $800 and bought a vending machine for $800. So $1,600 all in it. That's a steal, man. So you, you bought them used and that opened up the doors for a whole nother business that now you tapped your kids into and you're teaching them about finances and running businesses. So if they didn't want to have a job when they get older, they can, even though you're working a nine to five while doing all of this, man. Absolutely. But I want them to understand the value of the dollar. I want them to understand basic commerce, right? How can you get any more basic than buying a soda for 45 cents and selling it for a dollar? I mean, that's pretty basic or whatever, but guess what? This bad boy is making some money. 
That's so, right. you, you know, so I'm, I'm making, I'm probably turning over. So it's about $900 of, of retail value, right, in, in these two machines. And then I would probably, I can turn them over both those full turn in about two months. So, you know, on average, they make about $450, $500 a month additional um, income. And so, you know, my son's, uh, he just turned 12 years old. Um, I'm not giving him no allowance. Don't ask daddy for no allowance. That's right. And go, go get you, go collect some money at the vending machine. The good thing is uh, what, what you're teaching, number one, you're teaching him, like you said about commerce. But in addition to that, if you ever wanted to sell your buildings, which you probably won't, uh, you can take those vending machines with you or you can keep them there and continue to capitalize on the building, even though you're not collecting the rent. At that or point. if I, if what's, what's crazy, if you sell them, see those vending machines are now assets, much like the laundry. Okay. And because those assets are generating revenue, then that increases your NOI. And so when you add the vending machines on, that's probably another 60, 75 grand in valuation. So now this, what, 300 to rehab, right? 1600. So let's say $2,000 or whatever. Let's say 2500 because I had to stock the vending machines, right? This $2,500 now probably has given me a, I don't know, $125,000, $150,000 valuation increase into the property in addition to the, the rent increases and, and, the, and reduced expenses. All from a $1,200 initial investment and some time and patience, right? That's right? So anybody can do this, man. Anybody, if you just have a little bit of capital, you know, I've been mentioning it throughout the entire podcast, a little bit of patience, some discipline and some time, you can do this. You just have to be willing to hold back on having what you want right now so you can get what you really want later on. And that's what Onaja is actually doing, right? He's uh, capitalizing on every opportunity, reinvesting all of his profits back into more assets, more passive income generating assets that will allow him to be able to live the free and wealthy lifestyle that he wants. So another thing that you mentioned, man, you were looking for opportunities, right? Opportunities from the apartments to see how you can provide other services to your tenants. You mentioned that it's hot in Houston. You prevented them from walking to the store, which was you know uh, a little ways away, and you got a vending machine. You noticed that rather than having them leave the apartment complex to go wash their clothes, you had the laundromat set up, right? These are all opportunity zones for you to be able to create more income. That's right. In your, in There's your- another opportunity uh, I haven't previously told you about that I'm observing on the uh, apartment. Now, I haven't done it yet, but I'm observing that the Wi-Fi is kind of shaky in the, in the area. The, the internet is kind of shaky in the area, but it's a two-story apartment complex. So I'm, I'm, I'm been starting to make some calls about doing a cell phone tower on top of the building. Wow. And so so that and that's rentable space that would go to me, by the way. So look, cross your fingers that I, I could maybe close one of those deals to put a cell phone tower on top of there. Man, so just, again, multiple streams of income, right? Looking for opportunities to provide better services for the customer, for the people in, in uh, e-commerce, we call it upsell, right? So you're providing an additional service that people are happy to pay for if it's convenient for them. And that's exactly what you're doing, man. Good stuff. And you're capitalizing from it. You know, the building, I'm sure, is worth millions of dollars at this point from what. Yeah, it's worth a lot more than what I bought it for. That's the point. Right. And you all you started this with very little capital, man. 
So there's a lot of different ways to make money, guys. You know, again, I've been talking about it a lot on this channel. I want to dig deeper into the vending machine business. Uh, this is a business that Onaje inspired me to jump into. And I'm going to say that right on this podcast. You know, he mentioned that he had his kids on it. So recently, my wife and I, we've been looking for locations for our kids, you know, uh, barbershops and beauty salons and nail salons. And Onaje put it in my ear to uh, focus on apartments and things like that. These are things that we're looking for for our kids and not buying new vending machines. Focus on the used ones because it's, uh, you know, uh, obviously you're going to get them a lot cheaper and it's going to do the same thing. Right. So these are things that you guys need to focus on as well. Also focus on building relationships with like-minded people. Onazi and I, we have a lot in common, right? And just by talking to him, I'm able to pick up some gems or him talking to me, he's able to pick up some gems as well. Right. And we share information. We feed each other information to help our circumstances continue to go from where we are to where we want to go no matter what our lifestyle situation is, right? So for me, I'm personally looking into the vending machine business for my kids now. My wife and I, we talk about it a lot, right? Um, there's other opportunities that's out there as well. That's why I've been releasing these videos on having multiple streams of income. And if you guys want us to talk a little bit more about vending machines and laundry mats and how Onaje is going to start taking that stuff to the next level, as well as cell phone towers and all kinds of things that we could talk about. Let me know below what you guys in the comment section, let me know what you guys want to see. And I will have Onaje come back and we can dig deeper into those particular categories, even if it's just the apartment building complex, right? Uh, if you just want to talk about that, just let me know in the comment section, because obviously we can't cover everything on a single podcast, but we can have multiple episodes covering each of these particular strategies. Onaje, man, uh, if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Onaje Barnes, really easy to find. Well, if <laughs> you can spell my name right. Um, also, uh, Onaje B on Clubhouse, Onaje B on uh, Instagram. Uh, my Facebook is private. I still want some private space on, on uh, social media. But yeah, you can tap into me and I'm sure you're going to put the uh, links in the uh, comment section on the, uh, on the podcast. Absolutely, man. I'm just sitting here looking at some of the statistics from different countries that this podcast is blowing up on. And I just want to give a shout out to some of these countries, man. Obviously, the United States, we're, we're heavy in. I appreciate uh, uh, the United States, Canada, Puerto Rico. I appreciate the Philippines, Ireland, United Kingdom, France, Russia, Germany, Mexico, Singapore, Bahamas, Botswana, Netherlands, Israel, Nigeria, Sweden, Spain, Australia, Guam, Romania, Uruguay, Switzerland, Poland, India, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Indonesia. The podcast is doing really well in all of well, these. Well, that's a blessing. You big time now, bro. <laughs> blessing. Man, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. This is just an idea that I, I had just to provide value to the world a little over a year ago. And, you know, obviously I ha I've had my YouTube channel since 2008. I used to put out a lot of video content back then. Um, but over a course of like 10, maybe 12 years, I probably put out 60 videos, which is why my audience isn't as big as some of the other YouTubers out there. But over the last year and a half, man, I put out over 200 videos and the channel is just really picking up. My goal with this channel is just to provide a ton of value 
to the listeners, man. I, I don't, I'm not looking for anything out of it, but it's allowing me to help more people and get the word out to be able to um, to really help people go from where they are to where they want to go in their life. I've been able to do it. I've been living semi-retired since I was 30 years old. And I want other people to be able to experience that as well, man. Stress-free, right? That's the way we want to we wanna live, man. That's why we bring on guests like you, man. I know we met on Clubhouse not so long ago. And uh, Clubhouse has been really good for us as well, um, allowing us to provide value to the people. But man, I'm, I, it would be a pleasure to have you back and I'm going to be in Houston pretty soon, man. So we got to definitely get up. And oh, man, you, you let me know when you come in. I'll show you a good time. That's that's this is my city. I love it. Uh, good time. Show you some deals. See what's going on. Uh, but we're doing it big down uh, down here. We're trying to do it big. Let me say that. Um, but, man, I appreciate the podcast. I appreciate um, if people aren't plugged in with you, they better get plugged in with you. So um, if this is your first time listening or whatnot, man, subscribe to the podcast. Just don't listen once. This guy's got all the gems. He's bringing on great people, great guests, sharing their knowledge, sharing the uh, sharing the word so, so we can all get, get closer to the path of uh, financial freedom and generational wealth. Appreciate that, man. Speaking of generational wealth, man, so your wife, you know, usually during this time of the podcast, I like to talk about some books, right? Um, obviously education is heavy. Um, I know that your wife is coming out with a book, uh, pretty soon. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, a little bit about what's going on with that? Yeah. So, uh, my wife, uh, her background is in education. She's been a reading teacher, reading specialist and a trainer. And, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, uh, we, we were actually, you know, watching some movies and, and, and learning, you know, about black wall street. And, uh, so we decided to, and as an educator, we, she just really thought about the fact that, you know, there are books out here, but they're not telling our stories. They're not telling uh, the stories of people of color. You know, our history is being uh, told from a different lens. And she thought it was important that our kids and our youth of tomorrow could learn about our history in a positive light from us, from our, from our language. So her company is called Our History Code, uh, Our History Told. Uh, arthistorytold.com and her first book coming out is on Black Wall Street, The Spirited Community. This is a children's book written in the lens of the businesses of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there were 300 businesses in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, prior to the uh, to the incidents that went down and just so happened to be this is the 100th year anniversary of the Tulsa uh, uh, uh massacre that occurred uh, over 100 years ago. So May 31st, mark your calendars, 100 year anniversary of, of the destruction of Black Wall Street. But we not really focus on the destruction. We talk about it, but we really wanted to focus on the businesses and highlight some of the businesses that actually existed back then, like an actual bank that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was black owned, an actual um uh, actual hotel that was black owned, multiple businesses, over 300 businesses that was uh, done 100 years ago. And so really, not only is the book is about the history, but also uh, just some maybe some juice for the youth for the moral to let them know this is where we came from and this is what we can achieve again. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that your wife is doing that because there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of negativity surrounded in the media when it comes to us as a people. Um, but I really appreciate you bringing that out, man, because I truly believe that um, your wife is uh, assisting us as far as shining the light on some of the positive aspects of what we've been able to accomplish over the years and then passing it down, passing that information down 
to the youth so that they could see that, yes, we can accomplish certain things, especially when we put in that hard work. Right. So I really appreciate that, man. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that book myself. I'm going to make sure I pick up a copy for myself and my family. And uh, you, you said May 31st is, is going to be the day. May 31st is uh, we, we might have a little scene before then, but May 30, May 31st, I, it would be awesome if everybody just took some time out. And I'm sure there might be some media buzz, but we really trying to create some buzz around just May 31st being the anniversary of Black Wall Street. So maybe people can take a moment, whether it's purchasing our book and supporting us or just taking a moment as a family to just celebrate and uh, the, the history of our culture. And again, that's one city. But just for us to think about what, what happened at that at that moment, but also the things that were that we were able to accomplish before that moment. That's right. Cool, man. And where can they pick up the book at? Ourhistorytold.com. Ourhistorytold.com. I'm going to make sure I link that in the description box as well. So yeah, man, we got to continue. That's why uh, podcasts like this, you know, uh, YouTube channels like this exist so that we can continue to educate people on, you know, uh, how they can create their own generational wealth and how they can continue to uh, push forward and, and move their generational wealth or their family line forward so that they can uh, live that free and wealthy lifestyle as well, man. So I really appreciate you sharing that information. I'm looking forward to that book uh, and make sure you guys go ahead and pick up a copy of that as well. Now, Najee, obviously we've covered a lot on, on today's podcast and we can't cover everything and I would love to have you back, man. But if you had to provide our listeners with some final words, what would those words be? It is take some time, develop a long-term strategic plan for you and your family. Your plan is your plan. It doesn't have to be everybody else's plan. There's a lot of gurus out here selling a lot of guru stuff. It may work for you. It may not work for you. 90% may work for you. Tailor that plan for you and your family and chop wood. What that means is keep going, keep going, keep pushing. If it doesn't move as fast as you want, keep chopping that wood. That tree will fall. That's right, man. Really appreciate those last words, bro. It has been a real pleasure having you on this podcast, and I'm looking forward to getting this out as soon as possible, man. Definitely visit Onaje's Clubhouse page. Visit all of his social media. Make sure you visit his wife's website and support the book that is coming out relatively shortly. Looking forward to seeing that myself, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on the next one. Peace. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash jamelgibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to reieducationacademy.com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.